You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host, Ian Lamberson. With me, as always, my friend, my colleague, a man when asked, you down with XGC, said, yeah, you know me. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. <laughs> You're becoming more inventive. I, I definitely am down with uh, XGC. I know you are. I know you are. Uh, the hardest thing was actually, I was trying to think, like, which one of these things actually ends in something that rhymes with, uh, yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> ends with me uh but i went to the american soccer analysis wonderful pace which you should visit that's plug one and uh checked all of the the headings out and found one that works so there you go yeah there you, people there say you i don't go. work hard for this show people say i don't work hard for this show no one says that no one I, says I, that. i've heard it i've heard it um so uh we're recording uh it's tuesday night for us uh soon toronto fc kick off against chivas guadalajara uh in the first of a two-league final, which is not unique to CONCACAF Champions League, but still slightly unusual, uh, going for the first-ever Canadian win in this competition. Uh, so best of luck to all our Toronto friends out there uh, going for tonight. Um, I, don't, I don't have... Okay, that's. I was going to say I don't have Toronto friends, but then I remember to have one, and so I should probably be nice to Aaron, right? Yeah, well, we've both got Aaron, uh, definitely. Um, and I meant more as like the global friends of the show, people that listen to the podcast uh, that might support it, If they're Toronto listening, they need yeah. to reach out. They need to reach out. We, we need, need to know to of our Toronto listener base. <laughs> we do need so, to know. If we're going to do a live show in Toronto, like so many people have requested, we need to make sure there's going to be people there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have some stuff to get through this week. We are actually going to talk about Real Salt Lake. Uh, as promised, the last two weeks, this week, we're going to make good on it. Uh, but first, as always, I like to start off with our interesting stat of the week. And once again, a second time contributor to this program, uh, our friend uh, at E.T. McKinley, uh, who wants me to say, save the crew, uh, points out that Crew 96 had more crosses tonight than in any other game since 2015. The Crew's 46 crosses would tie for 7th most in any MLS regular season game since 2015 and 3rd most this season. And he notes that there were 50 for Minnesota versus Atlanta, 47 for Houston versus Vancouver. Um, so obviously I, I had him go out and uh, fifth, let us know like who, what game actually had the most since 2015. And these numbers are a little staggering. Uh, that distinction actually belongs to the Portland Timbers at home back in 2015 against the Red Bulls, uh, where they attempted 72 crosses, um, which most of the teams you see towards the top of this high crossing list are like a man up, and it's sort of a, a continuous pressing thing. Uh, but, but Portland did this uh, at 11 v 11, and they were actually successful 25% of the time, which for crosses, it's not that bad. Uh, all this leads me to believe, you've said this before on the show, you've mentioned it offhandedly a few times, and I think it's time to finally get into it. Harrison, why do you hate crossing? Well, <laughs> I saw I saw the, the, the liner notes, and I, I, it just made me laugh, right? I, I dislike Christ, crossing. Crossing in general, just because <clears throat> they're low percentage attempts in creating mediocre shots and, and mediocre is probably even being generous. It's like praying that you might get a 25% chance 
at something. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it's a it, it's not even it's not even a certainty that you get a twenty five percent chance. It's like a two percent, five percent chance that you get a twenty five percent chance at something, and that's even being generous. That's assuming you're creating that chance close in and around the six yard box, which not necessarily they all are. Uh, headers. Um, as you might expect, the further away from goal you get, uh, the less successful, A, you get at winning them, and B, at them being worth any value. Um, exponentially, they get obviously very favorable right inside the six-yard box, but as you might imagine, those are infrequent at best. Well, winning them is infrequent at best. <clears throat> well, and it's not just like uh, winning them. So, I mean, you look at uh, the, the top... Uh, individuals that have been in aerial duels this year, Dominic Baji, uh, Kai Kamara, these individuals, uh, CJ Sapong being the other one, these individuals, they win a, a good portion of their, their duels, maybe a little bit better than 50%. Although Dominic Baji is actually in the losing side. Uh, as I look at it, that's odd. I have noticed um, that. Yeah. He's, he's involved a lot, but not always coming out on top. Right. So, uh, even when you win those, that doesn't mean you're creating a uh, an actual shot on goal. It just means you retain possession. So, I mean, retaining possession not necessarily always meaning that you actually retain possession because if you deflect it out of bounds, you retain possession, but it now becomes the other teams. So right. winning the aerial, it, it becomes a very... Uh, it's it's a good stat because you want to maintain possession, but when you're talking about doing it within a very small area, um, that, that stat becomes kind of um, obtuse in a lot of ways. It becomes very uh, staggered. So it's really hard to figure out what, what it really means in terms of winning that chance. So... I don't, it's not that I hate crossing. I dislike it just in general. But if you look at the like specific purposes of crosses, there are many different types of crosses and some that could be beneficial. The functional switch, uh, changing sides uh, for the purpose of possession, you know, mm. uh, especially when you're trying to maneuver the ball into the attacking third. This commentators, becomes... commentators love that one. They always remark. <laughs> they uh, do. They love that. They're like, oh, brilliant switch of field. Uh, yes. Yeah, and, and so that that those are helpful. Those are uh, pretty. Um, I would even probably say they're probably neutral in terms of uh, beneficial uh, outcome. They don't hurt. They probably help a little bit more, which is why I have them. Then the beneficial, um, the early cross, which is very similar to kind of a through ball. And, in that most of the time it's played early with runners, fewer defenders, and a better chance to win the ball, right? Now, okay, that's my least favorite one. I feel like that's... Really? Yeah, and uh, this is just my eye test, and I, you've looked into this a lot more. I would have said that was the least effective mode of getting the ball to, like, or getting a chance on goal. The reason why I have it up here in Beneficial, and I haven't uh, parsed it, and we'll talk a little bit about trying to parse these out here in a little bit, mm -hmm. but uh, try uh, the early cross in my mind is very similar to through balls in that you have fewer contenders for the ball. It's less likely to be at your head and more likely to be at your feet, um, or uh, and it's more with the point of being possession based right you're not looking to create a direct shot it's not going to be a one-touch shot most of the time those early crosses can be one shots but they could also be you know one touch possession shot 
and those are those are helpful in my mind. Um, definitely something that we can come back to though. And then crosses at the touchline that are made backward into the box, usually over short distances. Um, these are ones that I generally I don't mind because really you don't have a lot of options, right? Generally, it's the best case of a worst case scenario. Is this the kind of situation where the ball is passed like along the ground back up towards the top of the box from the byline? Yeah, so um, yeah, it could be that. Um, it could also be like I, I put right here a grounded cross across the face of goal. Mm -hmm. um, that's also to me that's that's a little bit helpful just because it's it's easier to retain possession. You're less likely. Headers are so chaotic in terms of winning them and consistency. Yeah, um, just so much can happen. Your noggin's not always rounded. It's it, it's not perfect. There's divots. There's hair. There's all sorts of craziness that can happen and ensue. And we see that in the data, right? Um, there's very few players who uh, year at, over year are elite at winning them. Kai Kamara being one of the few. Um, <clears throat> but crosses across the face are on the ground. Um, these are easier to kind of re regain control and to create shots from uh, inside the penalty box. Right, right, right. Uh, the least effective being, you know, chip crosses or in-swing slash out-swing crosses. Like, just kind of doing some research prior to about, like, kind of trying to take in all the different ideas of what those various crosses could be. Um the in-swing and out-swing, the, the actual definitions for them are absolutely beautiful, to be perfectly honest. It, okay. It's it's really nice about the spin and, you know, creating velocity for uh, for the shooter and, you know, uh, to take away the defender's approach. But that doesn't really bear out within. In fact, to be perfectly honest, more times than not, it doesn't. Um, we don't see a lot of favorable results from those in-swing, out-swing crosses. In fact, um, you just throw the chips on in there too, chip crosses. There's just not a lot of proof that they're beneficial. Now, you do get into situations where it's just another, it's, it's another avenue that you can take to kind of change up the dynamic of the game. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you do have one of those elite ball winners uh, airily, it makes sense, Vancouver being a specific um, point of reference. Although we've not seen, you know, they added Kai Kamara, as we mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. as I mentioned, you know, Kai Kamara is an elite ball winner, but they've not really gone up in terms of their aerial wins. Uh, so it, it's kind of interesting. I was looking at, looking at it and they're kind of, last that I looked at, they're just really kind of mediocre in terms of what percentage of their crosses they're actually winning, which yeah. was kind of surprising. Interesting thing about that, too, is last year, um, the best, or the, the guy that scored the most headed goals in the league was actually Freddie Montero. It's not somebody you think of as an elite uh, aerial presence, but but there you go. Five foot nine, Freddie Montero. You got to love it. So uh, trying to parse this out and actually look at some of the different um, some of the different crosses and trying to define are these early crosses are they uh, in swing are they out swing we don't have uh, the actual metrics of the of the ball movement in the air right we mm -hmm. don't have the launch angle we don't have the velocity we don't have any type of curve that might be applied or ball spin. Um, we not to say that doesn't exist. There are many leagues actually that I, I believe are starting to capture that data. We don't have access to that right now in MLS. So it's a little bit hard to start making determinations 
um, and, and understand that just because it's good in one league doesn't necessarily mean it's good in another league, right? Different leagues have different individuals and different skill sets. Um, well, and it's always a matchup question too, right? I, I think you can kind of pick and choose some teams that you might have more success with at this kind of, uh, you know, crossing style, this cross-heavy attack, right? No, I, I would very much agree. You, I mean, I always, I, what, two weeks ago, we, we just absolutely ridiculed Houston for doing it against Vancouver because they had, uh, while they had Kai Kamara out, they have Kendall Lawson, who's also uh, very tall, very strong, and very good airily that shows in the data. Um, just because you're tall and good, uh, and strong doesn't necessarily inherently make you good at winning uh, balls in the air. Um, Kenny Cooper is kind of the 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 example there, right? I remember Nate Jaqua. Nate Jaqua, uh, I don't have any data on him, so I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't speak to that. Uh, but I would imagine Brian McBride uh, was a pretty good ball winner. Yeah, um, he was one of the best. So, uh, but yeah, that that. <clears throat> Just to kind of put a bow on it, I mean, there are many different types of data uh, of crosses, and it's really hard to kind of suss that out within our our matrix because really what we're what we have is we have the start point, we have the end point, and we don't have a lot of data about in between. We don't know how fast that ball is moving, um, which matters, right? If you're going to put in a cross hard and low, um, that's probably different than something that's high and soft and lifted yeah. up, right? So. Yeah. It, those details matter when you start looking at crosses and that's eventually eventually we're going to get to a point to where we can kind of determine um, what type of crosses are bad what type of crosses are good and um, how to mix and match and set yourself up properly within dynamics of the game i guess my main takeaway from it would be that there are opportunities and you see it where a cross is absolutely the right thing to do um, but i think that there are times what we see and in, in major league soccer um, you know, not just Major League Soccer, but it's the league we watch the most, where teams kind of approach it as a nearly every time down the field kind of thing. And that tends to not pay a lot of dividends, as it turns out, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's 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 the that's the gist of it, right? That's the gist of it. That's why I'm here. I'm here to summarize you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got a question for you real fast. All right, I love it. All right, so right now looking at my data set, I can see cross per pass. And <clears throat> that means how many crosses, well, how many passes they made per cross. So okay, okay. who would you imagine, number one being NYCFC, they have the fewest crosses per pass, which um, that doesn't seem surprising to me. No, not at all. So number two in our data set, who would you guess it would be? Hmm, that's a good question. I guess my first instinct is to say, like, Atlanta or Toronto, but I'm going to make a sneaky guess. And remember, from a couple weeks ago, we learned that the team that attacks the most centrally is actually San Jose. Is it San Jose? It, it, it's not. It's actually Real Salt Lake. Oh, really? <laughs> well, then, we have a wonderful segue built in, don't we? I, I thought you'd enjoy that. All right. Um... Cool. Let's get into it then. So let's go back to the off season of, of this year. And there was a man running around telling everybody that would listen that if they could buy stock in major league soccer teams, they should buy stock in Real Salt Lake because 
They had so many good players. They finished so strongly last year. They were surely, surely going to be a, a presence in the league this year. Um, one of the MLS uh, editors at, at MajorLeagueSoccer.com uh, actually predicted them to win the West. Uh, you know, it's still early days, but we have seen a really rough going from RSL. And maybe you can give us a little insight as to what's going on there. Just is. No one has uh, the faintest clue. <laughs> I was afraid of that. I was afraid of that. Yeah. Well, Mike Petke uh, came on, and this has kind of been a building meme, it seems, within the, the Real Salt Lake fan base. Is, uh, Mike Petke, at the end of... Uh, uh, it wasn't Vancouver, but it was uh, one of their one of their home losses. Uh, said that he knows what needs to be fixed, and uh, it's either going to get fixed or he's going to fix it. And it, <laughs> it's a little bit. Um, it was very dramatic. He seemed um, really. It, it, was, it was textbook Mike Petke. You know, you love him for kind of his outtakes and he did not seem like he really wanted to talk on the broadcast to, to anyone. He seemed very upset and um, he seemed to be very certain as far as what that was. Now that was two and a half weeks ago. I'd be really, uh, yeah, I think everybody after New York city last weekend, I mean, we watched the game while we podcasted and we kind of both were like, what is happening in front of us? It was just uh, completely, surreal they just got tore apart and really by a team that no disrespect to new york city who's really on pace to to be an mls cup contender this year if not even supporter shield oh yeah um they they absolutely uh, ripped them to shreds and they did so with a lot of secondary pieces yes so Uh, and that's not i mean to be fair to everybody involved new york city football club's secondary pieces are as good as or better than a lot of major league soccer teams first pieces so uh you know nothing there but this isn't what we'd ex- like it wasn't just the score line it wasn't just it was just a complete kind of i don't know there was no presence in the game from rsl that's what i keep seeing Yeah, and it's not even just that, right? So, first of all, uh, something that was uh, pointed out in one of the broadcasts that I thought was really interesting um, was they've RSLs experienced six different uh, starters with muscle injuries. You know, Jao Plata, Marcelo uh, Silva, uh, Adam Henley, Luis Silva. Um, there was a couple others. I didn't manage to grab their names, but. Um, I thought it was uncanny and it kind of makes you wonder and a lot of people are wondering what's kind of going on behind the scenes that would cause so many different so many different muscle injuries is this specific to a training thing is it bad luck um just from that standpoint and and let's not imply we don't know what's happening in the training so i think that it's all right just to kind of assume that's bad luck chalk that up to bad luck which most of the time injuries are yeah injuries are just chaotic uh and unfortunate uh disastrous events this has been not necessarily the case for rsl though they did lose tony beltron which is a massive blow just defensively and we've kind of seen how that's negatively affected them from the standpoint of uh defending that being said you know they've they've had their attacking a six five if you want to say and 
there's been some hits and misses on this. Um, Jao Plata looks to possibly have lost his rotation. It'll be kind of interesting if Corey Baird continues to um, have that position. And, you know, um, I don't think that anybody in the um, fan base is really enamored with uh, Demir Krylock. Demir uh, Krylock, yeah. (laughs) uh, Overpronounce it. Uh, those get names. I, I watched two games, like I told you earlier today. I, I kind of I went through all the different RSL games over the weekend, um, today as well, and uh, I heard his name like twice and yeah. like passing, and it, it really wasn't like a, it, it kind of made me go back to what's happening, what's really going on with him, and then and extrapolating that out, looking at them tactically. You know, I did this, and I kind of we kind of alluded to this. But they're a much different look in terms of uh, how they approach the game tactically, right? Um, last year, they're a high possession team. This year, they're a much lower possession uh, team. They have fewer defensive actions. Um, this year, they have higher shots, but they have lower shot leverage. So it, it's just there's so many things about this team that have just completely changed from last year, despite the fact that, you know, um, Luis Silva still starting up top, Jao Plata and uh, um, Martinez are out wide. You have uh, Albert Ruzniak uh, still in the middle. So what exactly um, has has changed the elements of this team? And it's a little bit confounding. Like, I don't know tactically what they're trying to do. It's very, it's very odd. I feel like there is, I don't know. I don't want to speak to what I would say is I think that we see teams, a lot of teams right now in this league are trying to be counterattacking teams. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I know, that a lot of teams have had success doing that in this league. You look at teams like Houston and Atlanta that can put on these very eye-catching uh, kind of performances, these these sort of exciting, I don't know, uh, attacking displays. Um, and I, I get the impression that a lot of teams are kind of trying to somehow imitate that to a degree or, or to like, Get some of this, uh, get it on this counterattacking action. Um, and you're right, because you see RSL, and you know, they do have speed there, they do have, um, you know, a guy like Beckerman that can release players well. I, but I just don't think that that's a good look for them. No, and, and I kind of agree with you, right? Like, um, exactly how they're positioned. And I wrote uh, ASA's preview for Real Salt Lake this year like mm-hmm. I, and i too you're talking about the guy that was going around that was you you got me you converted me to the house of real salt yes, lake and yes. what this was this team was supposed to be this year <laughs> spoiler um, alert that was in fact me i was that guy i did if i did not make that clear earlier uh that wasn't that was indeed me i apologize but, but yeah so uh, but it was it was it was not a hard conversion either right like yeah j- I, Plata is a favorite from the perspective, and I said Martinez earlier, excuse me, Saravino. Um, it, it, both of those guys are really interesting, dynamic wingers that I love watching. I re- This is a fun, real Salt Lake team to watch when they're clicking. Mm-hmm. But they have it. And it, it's, 
it's confounding in so many different ways. And I, I think part of that you can attribute uh, to the injuries. And I think that part of it you can attribute to a change uh, in emphasis tactically. But I thought with, as you said, there's so many teams that are going more to a counterattacking style that it almost made sense to stay exactly what they were, be that possession, be that high press team. And yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of playing into their hand, into an opponent's hand, like such as uh, LAFC. They got blown out by LAFC. But the thing was, is that early on, early on, they looked really good against LAFC. Mm-hmm. Like that, the first third of that game was really all Real Salt Lake. They held possession. Um, LA did not do a really great job at trying to win the ball back. Um in fact, it, looking through, it's their best performance from a shots perspective. They generated 21 shots. And yeah, part of that is skewed because the game states and later on in the game, they start losing. Um, and so they're chasing the game, more shots. Right. We've talked about that before. But that first third of that game was really, to me, that was, uh, I, I thought that they that could be something. And... <clears throat> If I was Mike Petke, I would go back and watch that game, that first half, over and over and find out where was the transition? Where did we stop being that team? Because since that game, they've been a completely different team tactically. And it's 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 really... I, I said confounding earlier. I don't know. Like, so I've kind of built a matrix. Um, we've kind of have this ongoing project that we're kind of working on uh, in ASA uh, and just kind of stylistically um, cataloging teams rather than um, cataloging them based off of, you know, performance uh, indicators, right? So right, right. Um, pass to cross ratios, looking at uh, through ball ratios, Oh, oh, by the way, this Real Salt Lake team is the only team in MLS right now that has not attempted a through ball. There's there's a wild stat hmm. that I came across today. That, that 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 would have been a fun play in, but yeah, we could have done that. <laughs> things that we wish that we could have done differently. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, pass per uh, defensive action, which. You know, you look at teams like New York City, New York Red Bulls that are just absolutely dominating in terms of winning the ball, but not just winning the ball, but then turning that into something useful. Uh, New York Red Bulls are Red Bulls are very good at directly creating that chance, and then New York City goes about it in a different way. And actually, um, after they win possession, they like to maintain possession, right? Like if they don't just immediately mm-hmm. break they're going to retain possession a little bit, which is yeah. kind of interesting. It's a, it, it, City and Red Bull have very uh, competing philosophies, and then they completely diverge after winning the ball. It's very, it's very interesting. But these are things that we're starting to try to look at. This Real Salt Lake team, I don't see a lot of comparisons for them. And not a lot of good comparisons, I should <laughs> right. say. Um, right, right. There, there's, there's a couple. There's a Colorado team. There's a Vancouver team. There's a San Jose team. These are not great compositions, right? Yeah, yeah. And, are... and just because they're being uh, compared to those, that isn't necessarily overtly negative, right? It's how you're executing those. But part of that execution and part of that tactical approach 
comes with who's getting the most touches in that in that formation who's who's the difference maker um and you know just like uh, we've kind of talked about on twitter uh dc united giving the majority of their touches to o'neill fisher that's generally a, a bad sign right like that's not necessarily how you want that to even if you're going to play out of the back that's not necessarily how you want things done Exactly, exactly. And I know that we're going to have some RSL fans that listen to this, hopefully. Um, and they're going to say, it's been six games. They're 2-1-3. and three. Like, it's not, it's not dire. There are teams that are worse off right now, uh, you know, as far as points go. That's true. Um, you know, mainly, I think our concern was just looking at, you know, it, the, there were some particularly bad kind of outings in there. I mean, you know, they got to draw against Dallas, which is good. They got to win against Vancouver at home, which is fine. Um you know, they're getting blown out at home by LAFC 5-1. That 3-1 to Toronto FC, that's a tough game. That 4-0 at New York City Football Club, that's a tough match. There's obviously, like, it, I, there's plenty of reason not to panic if you are a RSL supporter. But, you know, that being said, you know, we're looking at a team that, that's, you know, third from the bottom in expected goals uh, going forward. Uh, you know, it, it's... They have the worst expected goal differential in MLS right now. Yeah. Okay. And like that, that's that's something that's that's a cause for concern. I think is what we're saying. Oh uh, yeah, I think so. But, um, you know, all that being said, lest we we just completely ruin it and they turn out to be great this year. You know, it is still extremely early into the season. Uh, this is just kind of us talking about maybe just kind of figuring out like what's going on. And I think we have seen some players that haven't settled yet or haven't really found their. Um, you know, Bliss and Major League Soccer, Jimmy Krylak is one of them. Um, Alfredo Ortuno is another guy I think that we were hoping to see more consistent performance from, to see more minutes from. Um, so there's some settling in going on. And obviously there's a ton of young talent on that team. We talked about Corey Baird. Uh, we've discussed in Loa Costa on this show before. Justin Glad um, is somebody I'm not willing to write off. You know, if he's had slightly rocky start to the season. Uh, Rusnak, Saverino. Uh, Brooks Lennon, like these are all interesting play. I'm selling RSL stock again, aren't I? Uh, you are. <laughs> you, 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 you are out peddling. Hey, this is the this is the lowest it's gonna be. Yep. Bye now. Bye now. Bye now. Bye now, folks. This is when to get in on it. So, anyhow, RSL, we love you. We want you to succeed. We want you to do better. We think you're capable of it. Um, this is some interesting conversation. Thank you for uh, looking into all of that. And while we haven't solved the RSL crisis, and Indeed, if we could, we would probably be working for RSL and not doing this. Um, some stuff to think about going forward. So that was our much-promised RSL segment. We do not have a lot more to do today. We're just going to do our game reviews. I think that's all there's left. Um, that, is all, that is all that's left. That's all, all that's, that's left. All that's left for us to do. Um, let us start at the top. The most exciting game of last week. Uh, the, the the match everyone was most looking forward to was New York City Football Club at Atlanta. The game ends 2-2. Um, that was a great game, wasn't it? <laughs> that, that one did not disappoint. It was exciting. You remember your old watchability ratings? Uh, yeah, I, I do remember the watchability we ratings. we got to get those watchability ratings back. I feel like this would have scored very highly. 
Well, I mean, you think about it. Both teams create a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. There's not a, neither are really prone to fouls. Um, they keep the ball moving. These are all things that are that are high up on the on the watchability score. Right? On the watchability score, I can't wait to see that again. Yeah, um, no, I, I'm wor- I'm working on it. Ta- yeah. There's a good There's a good plug. Thank you on AmericanSoccerAnalysis.com. That's too. We're doing great with that. Um, I feel like. Um, New York City could be very happy to kind of come out with this draw here. It seemed like Atlanta was jumping out early, looking very, very strong, as they usually do at home uh, throughout. They had a goal kind of marked off due to a, uh, you know, a, a correct but but not often seen uh, kind of offside for for Joseph Martinez, who is um, definitely standing in front of Sean Johnson. That was a cause of much consternation on Twitter that day. <laughs> Are, are, um, are you not allowed to do that? No, it turns out you're not allowed to stand in front of the goalkeeper <laughs> um, in an offside position like that. Um, great work from Alexander Ring We on that last goal. We saw David Villa back in the fold, and he looks like David Villa again. Yeah, imagine that. David Villa is David Villa. Yeah. <laughs> that dude won't ever get old, I swear no. to God. No. Um yeah, it was an impressive performance uh, on Atlanta's side. Uh, Mia Almiron continues to go from strength to strength and just builds good game after good game, um, making a real claim, I think, at being uh, top of the pile in this league. I think he's, I think he's fairly finally in that conversation. No, I think so. Um, I think it was kind of funny. We had this discussion the other day, and I think there's kind of some other names to be thrown out, and we'll get to those in a little bit. But, uh, you know, he's definitely – he's transitioned, and I said this a couple weeks. He was starting to make that transition. I still think he's kind of there to where he's finally – there's substance to his game. There felt like there was a lot of um, glitz, a lot of glamour, um, but a lot of the, he wasn't, the underlying numbers weren't quite there in his favor. Like there were some numbers that were positive indicators, but that's all they were. They were all just indicators. And now we're, we're seeing it very, uh, flushed out and starting to bloom within the data. You know, I, I'd like to see some, um, our data is very kind of corrupted with, uh, these penalty kicks right now. Yeah. So I'd, once he kind of differentiates himself from those PKs, you know, uh, that, that'll help kind of, uh, be a little bit more illuminated, but, uh, he, yeah, he's having a great start to the season. Yeah. We also, of course, saw the first appearance of the, uh, $15 million man. They kept calling him, which is, uh, yeah. Uh, Ezekiel Barco making his first appearance for Atlanta. And, um, you know, it was a 20 minute cameo, I think. And we, Got about a 20-minute cameo's worth. So, obviously, uh, jury's still out on that one. But exciting for Atlanta fans nonetheless to finally see their uh, exciting offseason guy in action. Um, these two teams are really... I mean, Toronto is obviously still dealing with CONCACAF Champions League. And that to act like that's not a huge factor in what's been going on for them in the, in the, in the regular season uh, would just be willfully ignorant. Um but that being said, these two teams are really separating themselves from the pack in MLS right now. Yeah, and you know, New York City, I think is uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, yeah, uh, Atlanta, New York City, Toronto. These three are, are are the top echelon right now of MLS. They really are. Um, Atlanta um, has a really strong eleven. I think for them to kind of really uh, get to that 
that next bump, if you would, is to have um, the guys that, you know, um, Toronto and that New York has off the bench, right? Like Toronto is, is no joke cycling 18 players uh, so that they have yeah, seamlessly the depth. almost. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's crazy now, you know, obviously they signed a bunch of, you know, <laughs> no name players for uh, this past weekend. And then for next weekend as well uh, for Colorado, Houston, um, you know, number 45 and 47 and, you know, player, youth player uh and i don't want to be disrespectful i'm sure that they're they're very good players in their own right they have a lot of potentials right but they're just but. kind of thrown in and it's, it's obvious like their full attention right now is on the conquer calf champions League. yeah so it's absolutely. really hard to to draw any sort of any points they get during this point of the season are just going to be icing on the cake for them um i think they plan to go this long in the conquer calf champions league um and, and they're doing it. So, all right, we'll get to them in a second. Let's move on. Uh, next game, we had DC United win one nothing over Columbus. Um, DC United scored a goal in the first minute, which is always fun. Uh, Segura just kind of shocking everybody with that. Uh, they go down a man and bunker forever. And Columbus, and they huffed and they puffed, but they were not able to blow the door down. Uh, Columbus amassing two, ex- a little over two expected goals. Uh, to 0.39 for DC United. Uh, it was just one of those cases. We see it sometimes where a team just puts their back against the wall and just will not let the dam break. And uh, it's funny to look at all of DC United's defensive actions uh, in that game because some of them were out of control uh, with just how often they were defending. So, um, you know, not a judgment. That is a skill in and of itself, and DC United very, very good to get those three points. Yeah, we just talked about the watchability score, man. <laughs> watchability <laughs> score would have hated this game. Yeah, <laughs> and even more so, like if you told me DC United scored a goal in the first in the first minute, I'd been like, no, there's no way I'm watching this game. I watched 45 minutes of this game. Um, that seemed like I I I don't want to say I regret that decision. Um, Pedro Santos had a really interesting uh, shot that just floated right above uh, the crossbar, but overall was uh was not good and just so i mean so they threw up columbus threw up 24 shots nine of those 24 come from the head mm-hmm. um so we have to remember that those are really difficult to get on target yeah. a lot of people like to they somebody might point out the fact that they got only half the amount of shots on target um One of those hit the woodwork, seven got blocked. There's a lot of different, um, only five shots on target out of 24. Someone might make a big deal about that. That's not a big deal to be made out of. Um, the real important thing going forward is that they're taking those shots. Um, if you replay this game, you know, let's say 10 times or 100 times, Columbus probably wins this. And at this early stage, it's about the process rather than the results. Obviously, you want the points, mm-hmm. and I don't want to discount the effort. As you just said, DC United's very good at uh, at bunkering. Uh, their defense, uh, their those back five with uh, Mourinho, uh, just really did a dynamic job, just keeping everything together very tight. Um, they let Columbus have the space wide, and they just completely uh, didn't allow them to get those nice uh 
I want to say central shots and central creation within that, uh, within that zone 14, they just completely, uh, deferred and deferred and deferred and deferred. And it was great. It was a great example really of how to play that type of ball, especially, um, yeah, DC was at technically at home, but realistically speaking, they're playing at Navy and, this isn't really necessarily the home game that you'd expect for DC United. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, a little bit more neutral, right? There you go. And, uh, you know, it, it is, It is again, yeah, it, it's one of those, it's a tough thing to gut out, but you got to gut it out. And uh, all credit to DC United for grabbing those three points because you, when you're in this situation where you're kind of in limbo with the stadium, uh, sort of like Toronto is in, like you're kind of looking at anything you're getting from these early season games as bonus points. So just grab them while you can. Uh, our next game has FC Dallas defeating the New England Revolution at the New England Revolution. Once nothing, uh, Hayes gets on the board for his first Major League Soccer goal. Hayes is the guy that's got a little interest in analytics, right? Uh, yeah, so he, I kind of did a little bit of a rant um, <laughs> earlier today. He, he definitely does have some interesting analytics. He's a smart guy, too. Jacory, if you're listening, sir, we would love to have you pick your brain, uh, have you on the podcast, discuss some things with you. I, I would be really interesting from a player's perspective. Yeah. Um, how he uh, uses this data, maybe to leverage it as opportunities. But uh, speaking about Mr. Hayes rather than uh, to him, he's really interesting in that perspective of he's an above average passer, speaking from our ex passing data. He has a good number of volume of tackles, is how I'll say it. He's not necessarily winning a high percentage of them, but he's winning the the majority of them, and he's winning a lot, right? He's chasing down a lot of that. And I'd imagine that's partially his job, right, is to have that engine and to run around that thing and just win opportunities to change possession, right? So those are really important attributes. And on top of that, he's been a critical piece in that metronome midfield at with expected buildup, right? He's doing a lot of the dirty work in providing passes to create shots. Um, so that pass that leads to the pass is expected buildup, right? Um, it's not necessarily that key pass, but rather uh, a pass in the chain of events that lead to a shot. And, you know, Ja'Cory Hayes is, the comparison was made to Tyler Adams, right? Yeah, Ja'Cory Hayes is more involved in Dallas's uh, attack than Tyler Adams is. And so there's some really interesting elements. That said, you know, he's 22, so he's just coming kind of into his, he's still progressing. He's at 500 career minutes, so we still aren't necessarily seeing a good, robust data set of him. So it'd be kind of interesting because players change um, and not just change in the aspect of what their skill sets are, but they also change in the how they're being utilized. So it'll be really interesting to see if this is continually uh, what we see from him. Should Kellen Acosta come in and he plays alongside him or if that's just who he is now? Um, it, it'll be really interesting to see this data set, but let's, I, I'd really caution, like trying to like, okay, well, he now is basically, uh, Weston McKinney and because he has numbers that look similar to his and play style. And there's definitely some eye popping, uh, attributes that he has, but 
I'd really exercise caution in trying to um, just utilize what your eyes telling you. Don't put him. Yeah, don't. The kid's obviously talented. He's got a good future. It looks like, and he's someone we're obviously going to be keeping a close eye on. Don't push him in a box yet. Don't don't push him there. Let him let him kind of develop as a player. Um, and I and think, I think t- yeah, I go, think go ahead. And I think as a fan, you'll 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 have more appreciation for what he does rather than just trying to say, oh, this is the new. This is the new Kellen. This is the new Weston. Like this is this guy might be of a little bit of a different breed, and it might be something Dallas needs. Well, exactly, and I think trying to compare him to that does a disservice both to himself, to that player, as well as it does a disservice to the opposing player, right? Um, I know we like to do well, what player is better. Is Tyler Adams better, or is and, and we even do this. We do this on the podcast, but uh, yes. I, I think at, at a certain point in time you have to be skeptical of, um, okay, well, you're dealing with 500 minutes. Is that really enough to tell you who this player is? Right. And, and, that's, and that's more of what I think that we're trying to exercise caution on. Not necessarily, obviously, we're going to rate players. Either you, you do it numerically or you do it in uh, kind of a ranking stack system. You're going to do it mentally regardless. Yeah. That's just an inherent thing that we do. But... Let's kind of try to reserve judgment quite for a little bit to really understand what type of player he is. I like it. Uh, New England, uh, a little disappointed uh, to drop points at home as they are usually quite good there. Um, But FC Dallas quietly managing to go undefeated so far this season. So uh, not a lot of people have them on the radar. Um, Indeed, I'd say most Western Conference teams are kind of off everybody's radar right now. So... That might explain that, but but a good start for Pareja's boys this year, and um, definitely something to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, next match we have Portland three goals, Minnesota United two goals. Um, good win for Portland. Minnesota, um, you know, hung in there, uh, nearly uh, kind of pulled it back a couple times. Uh, really, kind of. Uh, you know, pressed at Portland late, which is, you know, never a terrible idea. Uh, a lot of credit to Portland this week, though, for, for getting it right and managing to see that game out. Um, you know, that can be difficult to do even in the best of circumstances, but but they certainly do very well at that at home. Uh, probably the things that kind of stick out to me the most from that game, um, Alvis Powell's goal was a delight. <laughs> it's kind of fun to see a defender do that. Uh also, uh, you know, this was the first we saw of Darwin Quintero, and um, I did not expect him to be a winger, but I suppose I probably should have, huh? Uh, insert uh, the joke for, <laughs> for Minnesota. Minnesota. Uh, did you see anything in this game you like from, from Portland or Minnesota? Oh, I like Quintero, man. Uh, I, I, I was so happy to see him perform the way he did. I just, yeah, I really thought it was really good. I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, you know, uh, more to the point with uh, Portland, I thought Portland played uh, – they were really good. And to be perfectly honest, I was really happy to see them manage to kind of stave off a game at home, uh, a game that they should have won. Um, and despite the fact, you know, uh, Tulioma had the own goal. Which, yeah, it I happens. Mean, that it, no, it does. It, exactly. And I, I don't think that there should be any reason necessarily to be uh, down on him. It, those situations happen. Those occur. Um, Minnesota really didn't quite do enough in the last 20, 30 minutes of this game. Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't think they did enough. Um, 
to try to to really try to reconcile uh, a point out of this. So that's something that um, I'm a little bit surprised about. Uh, I feel like they've been a really good uh, freestyle attacking team, and even I shouldn't even say freestyle. They've just been a really good attacking team. Period. Um, over the course of this first what six games, they really lacked anything. I mean, they had three shots uh, in the final. Uh, what 90 I'm looking at it from the 65th minute onto the 90th minute they had a total of three shots one of those came from inside the box which hmm. um, w- which was the big sh- big shot by Darwin Quintero he had it's it's called it's labeled as a big chance um, and a lot of people will probably point to it as the man we almost got a point out of it but I mean if yeah, you're really you know, always if, if that's well, your well, right. So we always point out to hey, if you're gonna put the the game in the hands of the referee, something could go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. The same thing could be said if you lean on one opportunity to kind of be the the one that saves you a point at the end or that wins you a point at the end. You probably didn't do enough. You might, get and, and I'm not necessarily trying to be like this is the rule. But speaking in generality, right, you, yes. you probably in the last ha- last third of the game and you're chasing it and you're not doing more than three shots, you probably didn't do enough to win the game. Yeah. Or Portland did a really good job of and, limiting and, you. And, yeah, and no, and no disrespect to Portland. They, they did do a really good job at limiting those opportunities and to kind of uh, stifle the passes and the attempts. So good to see uh, Portland grab those three points. Good for Portland fans. Uh, on a, a note from last week, uh, I, I do have to hold my hand up and issue a, a correction to something I said, uh, which was that I called the penalty incident at the end of the Orlando City game as a call that could go either way. Uh, at the time when I recorded it, I had seen one angle where it looked that way. I was subsequently shown by a number of people uh, the other angle, which showed that it was a terrible terrible call and I, I i it was in fact not a call that should have gone either way so my apologies to everybody for that um but uh much better from portland this week uh our next you are a bad person i know i know our, our editor's gonna fire <laughs> i hope so uh, our next uh, our next game uh san jose two houston two this actually at san jose um but uh you know they managed to, to, to leverage what little opportunities they had. They generated a little under half an expected goal. Houston um, amassed over three. Uh, San Jose playing at home really looked like the away side, and we're very, very lucky to come out of this with any share of the points whatsoever. So I I like to think that I look at the leaderboards quite a bit. I like to think that our internal leaderboards that you know we have, and... Um, you know, I was all chugga chugga choo choo on the Almiron train um, until it was pointed out to me Elise is handedly winning expected goals creation um, in open play. And it's it's not even really close, yeah, to be perfectly honest. He's been dynamic so far. And there, um, I just feel like we haven't seen. Uh, Minota's kind of break out in the way I was hoping to so far. He's got a couple goals. He's looking good. Overall, you know, even though the, the, the actual physical goal numbers might not show it yet, you know, I think this is an improvement on the situation they had last year with Kubo Torres. Um, 
but the fact is that Houston just have a very dynamic attack. And this was also a first game we really saw Tomas Martinez come alive, I think. This was the best 90 minutes I've seen him play since coming over. Um, <clears throat> I know the Audi player index agrees with me, which gives me pause uh, <laughs> every time. <laughs> but but I'm still going to go with it. Um, yeah, really good stuff from, from Houston all the way around. Uh, Got to say that I, I really do feel like they, they deserved all the points there. Um, but, you know, it, it's... You, you got to play to the whistle and, and uh nice moment for San Jose's high kick kind of came on and, and rescued a point with a, with a nice little piece of individual effort and a deflection. And that's just how soccer goes sometimes. I think last week I wanted to see uh Mingus Erickson uh, step up and <laughs> 26 minute. Yeah, it is. he did that for uh, you. And he did a little yeah. goal celebration that I felt in a lot of ways was sort of like a subtweet at you. Well, it was a sl- He was subtweeting me. He- <laughs> yeah. Well, at least there's that way to go about it, and you don't get yeah. like a clown emoji from Ethan Finley while you're out on a date with your wife. So that's true. That's true. I'm so jealous of you. Um, <laughs> good result uh, for for San Jose and all that. Also good to see Houston uh, dominating a game on the road, which was something they really struggled to do last year. Uh, I think there's still a lot to come from this Houston team, and I would not be surprised to see them. Uh, poking around that Western Conference, uh, you know, around, you know, the end of the season, near the top of that table. So, oh, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> uh, Very much so. Good good job, Houston Dynamo. Um, next game was uh, Kansas City 2, Seattle 2. Seattle finally scores a goal, gets a point, and they did it on the road at Sporting Kansas City, which is a place they tend to struggle. Um, this was a, I think, a fair result given the kind of chances um uh you know created by each team uh i think we saw sporting kansas city you know like they had a very good um opportunity that i i really was shocked to see Kyrie schultz and not be able to put away um and i think that that you know they'll rue not being able to grab three points on the back of that that you know as you say uh, it never really comes down to just one chance, but that was a moment that stuck out to me. Um, yeah, I, I think this is about what we expected from SKC, who I think thus far have been the best team in the West. Um, they've really kind of shown how, you know, both sides of the ball. Uh, they're missing Felipe Gutierrez still. I think that makes a huge difference for them. Um, on the flip side, uh, Seattle looked better. Is this something that Seattle fans can kind of start to maybe crawl out of their, their little uh, panic rooms now? Yeah, that's enough. This whole the, the, this whole <laughs> mantra that they need a striker uh, drives me crazy. Just because, like, especially like after this game, and people are like, "Well, Will Bruin finally showed up." Will Bruin's been around all year long. Yeah, and... Will Bruin is is second in uh, expected goals plus assist, uh, expected assist for ninety six right now, just behind Elise. Yeah, he's he's having himself a great year. I think part of it has been, you know, Dempsey's been in and out because he can't not hit Jacorier's. Um And then Ladero's ha- kind of had a few, uh, had a couple injuries um, that kind of kept him out of action here and there. So those two factors definitely uh, change the elements of Seattle's attack. I'm probably the least worried of all Seattle fans. I thought this was a, a tremendous result, especially when you consider like take out everybody's going to like focus on Shelton because Shelton had <clears throat> he didn't just have 
like a shot that was deflected. He had like time on top of space yeah, it, to like pick out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's a little bit more emphasized, right? But you know, Ikopara had the you know had the head pe- uh, had the header on the set piece, right? That was right looking at it was right next to Kyrie Shelton. Doesn't have the same expected goals, but it was a massive chance, right? Oh, yeah. Off the set piece. Uh, Ily Sanchez had a, a, another header off the set piece right in front of goal. Um, you know, so three of those chances all in and around. Of course, one was from open play, two from set pieces. So that obviously changes the dynamics of, you know, uh, the positioning of the goalkeeper and defenders. Yeah. But ultimately skc had some really good and not to like you know take away from what seattle had obviously will bruin had you know a shot that was deflected in front of goal uh he had one hit the woodwork there are some other things at, at play you know on both sides so yeah i think that it's a fair outcome and on top of that i think both can look at their processes and and kind of go back and say we played a really good game yeah um, yeah, good result for Seattle. Uh, see them back in the points. Uh, next game, we had Los Angeles Galaxy 1, Chicago 0. Uh, you know, there's just not a lot to say here. This was a game kind of played in some weird wind-like conditions and, and, and you know, problematic temperatures, and it, it kind of showed uh, Zlatan did a Zlatan thing. Uh, that was enough for LA Galaxy to take a 1-0 uh, win. Uh little under an expected goal for Los Angeles Galaxy and a little under half an expected goal for the home team, Chicago. I I think the only narrative that you can draw from this is just like Zlatan is the difference maker, but I, I think it's just kind of uh, one of those things that happened. I don't think there's a lot to learn from this kind of game. One thing that I've been noticing and something that uh, I'll probably look up later on this week and keep to myself and not tweet anything out about it I, is okay. uh, Ashley Cole. Yeah, Ashley Cole's been getting really forward. Have you noticed this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been uh, he's been the, the Zlatan provider. Yeah, well, he has, and that's kind of been the byproduct of you know the last couple mm-hmm. of you know Zlatan goals. But at the same time, he's actively gotten further up the pitch, and I kind of wonder if. Um, that's not a result of their current formation with trying to uh, kind of pinch in uh, their wide players a little bit and needing width uh, further up the field. And so they're using Ashley Cole. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting how that's worked out so far. Um, I am kind of curious to see how teams will take advantage of it going forward and how they'll try to, especially late in the game. I mean, we kind of saw Ashley Cole... Um, against Sporting Kansas City, definitely have some difficulties. <laughs> um, just with you know, he just he was winded by the end of that game. So um, it'll be kind of interesting to see what teams have Johnny Russell esque players that can absolutely take advantage of that, uh, take advantage of their pace, and try to uh, try to make use of all that acreage behind a uh, Ashley, Ashley Cole. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next match, we had Colorado 2, Toronto 0. This is at Colorado. Toronto playing a very uh, short side, or short, Toronto a little short staffed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, they signed Jason Hernandez basically for this game uh, and, and next game against Houston. Uh, you know, Ben Spencer getting some minutes up top. Still managed to create some chances, uh, which is good. I, Colorado didn't really win the expected goals battle by all that much, but. Uh, 
not a lot, again, to say here. This was sort of an unusual game because Toronto, as we have said a number of times, and rightly so, are 100% focused on the CONCACAF Champions League, um, and that showed in their personnel selection. Um, only things that really stuck out to me in this uh, was, hey, Gashi's back. Crazy. Uh, he comes on for the first time in what feels like forever, uh, buries a penalty kick, and one of my favorite players of two years ago. As he might be back around the corner again. I, I really hope that we see more of Shkelson Gashi going forward. Yeah, no, I I I, I kind of saw all the uh, all the the mentions in Slack. I, I I was equally excited to see that he got subbed on, and it it kind of almost even startled me um, to a degree. Uh, I think one of the comments was, uh, "Hey, he's not dead." Um, we, yeah, it, it's great to see him back in the mix. He was definitely um, a dynamic guy from uh, dead ball situations. I think that he gives Colorado a different element, a different, um, I, I just said dynamic, but I mean, you know, he's, he's not necessarily the, the guy that's going to fit into what they're trying to do, but utilizing him late in games, um, as that second forward, like he was there, I think is, is a smart play. Um, it kind of remains to be seen how much of a future he has going forward. But uh, I, I like I like kind of using using him in the super sub role. I think that's kind of intelligent. Yeah. Uh, next match we had New York Rebels three Montreal one. Um, this wasn't really a surprising result um, on either side. Rebels New York continue to look really good, especially at home. Um, you know, uh, Montreal. We talked about it last week and the week before and the week before that. There's still a lot to. Um, there's still a lot to go with that team, and I think that they are. It's kind of hard to call them in a rebuilding sort of season, um, but they're definitely doing something a little different. Uh, you know, Jason Vargas, who I know you like, and we talked about uh, last week a little bit, uh, with a nice free kick goal. That's an interesting thing to see. Um, if that's something they can utilize going forward, is, is having that kind of strength on set pieces. Uh, also, hilariously, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Victor Cabrera perhaps being an elite MLS defender, and since then, by my count, he's been responsible directly for about a hundred goals, so I kind of look foolish on that one. Um, yeah, he he hasn't really helped you out on that one, has he, buddy? <laughs> Apologies to all of the listeners for declaring that a few weeks ago. Uh, we are starting to see some of the things we saw last year and the year before that. Um, you know, we talked about how he could leverage high aggression situations if they work out well for him. When they do not, we get stuff like what's happened here in the last couple games, and he certainly has not had. Uh, not made a great uh, account of himself um, in the last couple matches. But, um, again, nothing surprising here too much, I don't think. Um, good job, New York Red Bulls. Uh, we're still rooting for you, Montreal. Uh, <laughs> let's move on to the Friday night games. We had Philadelphia 0, Orlando City 2. Um, Orlando City starting to maybe come alive a little bit, huh? Um... I didn't really think they were that good in this game. <laughs> wow. Uh, not to not to draw it out. I know we're getting across uh, near the line. I think Philadelphia is really good. I think they just need to continue doing what they're doing, and they're going to get fantastic results. I thought David Akam was solid. I thought CJ Sapong was really good. And um, you know what? I I I'm a I'm starting to become a believer in what uh, Philadelphia is doing right now. I I very much uh, like their team. And conversely, I'm ready to sell my Orlando stock. Um, I think I'm I'm kind of getting to that spot. I thought that <clears throat> Dom Dwyer got a Dom Dwyer goal, 
and that kind of changed the the dynamic of the game. I think Chris Mueller had um, probably a Chris Mueller-ish goal and that, you know, kind of you put the gra- the ball on the ground and sometimes that he's developed a type for the two goals he scored. Right. Uh, well, I mean, well, and you, so, you buy I down- mean, he was a high, he, he scored a bunches of goals, right. And, uh, in college. Right. And then you know, you've he- got, you know, and you buy Dom Dwyer to score Dom Dwyer goals. That's, that's why you get Dom Dwyer. Um, Absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I think this was a good match for Orlando to go out on the road and get, and get three points. It, you know, it, it wasn't like a dominating performance by any stretch of the imagination, but this is, these are the kind of games that, that make a difference later in the year if you win these. No, that absolutely. They could, it's definitely one of those jumping off the off uh, points. And, and conversely, you look at what they've done in the past over the last what uh, few weeks. They've definitely had some uh, some problematic results. Right now, at this point in time, it's we don't care how we get them. We just want results. Yeah, and that can maybe they can leverage that and say, okay, we get the results. Now we'll start trying to get that process right. I don't tend to see that as a successful uh, way to go about it, but you know what? Maybe maybe they can you know make it work. Uh, the other item of concern, I believe, is Jack Elliott coming off in the second half. Um, looked like a little bit of a knock. Not sure exactly. Um, haven't heard uh, the the severity of that, but he's obviously been a key part of that project of youth in the back, and it will be a he'll be sorely missed by Philadelphia and indeed my own fantasy team. Uh, if he's out for a significant period of time. Uh, okay, last game. Uh, Los Angeles Football Club defeats Vancouver 2 to nothing. Um, Vancouver was the home team here, and uh, no one told them to... And they played like... Yeah, yeah no, no one... They played like they were the away team? <laughs> no one told them that. Uh, Los Angeles Football Club, uh, very dominant in this game, I felt, and... Um, Another uh, wonder goal from Carlos Vela, who is uh, still a delight, always a delight. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think that Vancouver has done very well this year. And this is uh, sort of unusual um, that they just completely kind of disappear from a match like this. This was something we would have seen, you know, in the last two years and not been surprised. I was a little more taken aback by it there. Um, on the flip side, LAFC has kind of had a rough couple weeks, and uh, they are back in their winning ways. Yeah, and, and not to not to turn this into a, like a twenty minute segment, real fast. You know, a lot of times we talk about elite scores. Elite scores oftentimes are people that can just have tendencies to create shots for themselves and uh, a crazy amount of volume. Carlos Villa is one of the unique few that probably has, and, and I'm saying probably, I don't know this for the certain. I'll be interested to see if the data comes out, but he seems like somebody that uh, probably has a differentiating skill when it comes to uh, putting the ball in different places, what? such as, you know, with finishing. What? Um, those of you don't I, know, I'd be, those of you that don't know, that are listening to this show, don't understand what a big deal that was for Harrison to just say right then. Uh, we are definitely going to talk about that all of next week. Uh. <laughs> I, I have nothing, no proof of it. Uh, I just, I'm, I, I'm starting to scratch my head and wonder. Well, he scores that goal so many times, uh, you know, before you're going to start to say, maybe he's just really good at kicking the ball. Um, okay, so LAFC have a good finisher. Amazing. I love it. Um, that's it, guys. That is our show. Um, thank you again, as always, to my co-host, Harrison Crow. Thank you so much. 
Um, you can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Um, please follow uh, the American Soccer Analysis uh, Institute of Technology on Twitter as well. It's at Analysis Evolved. And visit the website, www.socceranalysis.com. It's a great website. Lots of great articles. Plenty for you to read. You can be smarter than your average soccer fan. Um, I am Ian. Thank you once again for listening. We will be back here next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer.